Hello and welcome to the BVC Podcast. Here at Brownsburg Vineyard Church, we want you to know that we are a group of ordinary people that serve an extraordinary God. Our mission is to honor God and advance His kingdom by building disciples who will give their lives to changing the world. Whether you are local or joining us from a distance, we want to thank you for being a part of our family. To learn more about us, you can visit thebvchurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's message. chairs, setting up tables, putting plastic down to keep the grimy little feet and hands off the carpet. And so uh, so if you can stay around after the service, we'll have lists set up in each room and Danielle and her team will give instructions for how we need this place set up to handle 120 kids. So uh, as already been mentioned, we are in a series called Idols, the Gods We Worship. And this is the concluding message in that series. And Gwen had a testimony that she wanted to share that really sets up this final message well. So it was the very first week of this sermon series on idols. And as Dennis was talking, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, you have an idol in your life. And the idol was the idol of others. And so when I say the idol of others, I mean, a lot of times I would spend a lot of energy thinking about what will other people think if I do that? And a lot of times I wouldn't do things because I'd think, well, what will they think of me? So I'd rather just not do anything. It's much safer not to do anything. <laughs> and so as soon as I really felt like the Holy Spirit was revealing this to me, I realized that I need to just ask God to forgive me for that, that I've spent a lot of time of my life bowing down to this idol of others. And so I asked him to forgive me for that and just to break that idol out of my life and it was a day or two after that, and I was spending some time with the Lord. And I just had in my heart, Lord, I'd love to have a word for somebody that I don't know and to share that for with them. And so I felt like he gave me this word, and I was going to a makeup store, and I felt like there was going to be somebody there that I didn't know that this word was going to be for. And so I went in there, and I was talking with her for quite a while, and then I was just got that courage to go, you know what, I was praying this morning, and God gave me this word, this vision, and I shared it with them, and there was some very specific details in it, and it really lined up with her, it was just really exciting, and I had an opportunity just to pray with her, and this is something I've always struggled with, it's like, well, what will people think, you know, I have just have this thought, but I don't know what they'll think, so anyways, just to overcome that, and so then, every day since then, I've just got up in the morning and I thank the Lord for breaking this idol in my life that I want to listen to him only. And so I felt like before it was a lot of fear. And after I just broke that idol of others in my life, there's been so much more freedom. It's like, if God's calling me to do it, I'll do it or I'll say it. And if he doesn't, I'm not going to. And so it's just between me and God and it's not dependent on the idol of others. And so anyways, thanks for letting me show that. Let's give Gwen a hand. So uh, today we are going to be talking about the God of others. And when we talk about that, what we're talking about is when we allow the opinions, the words, 
the expectations and even the actions of others to influence us more than God influences us. And when that influence causes us to do the opposite of what God has called us to do. There's some very, very healthy influences in our life. We are meant to live in relationship where people influence us. But there's two things that have to be true about that influence. First of all, that that influence never supplants or replaces God. And secondly, is that influence and those people who do influence us are never meant to influence us in the opposite direction of what God is calling us to do. So last week, when uh, when Christian shared the idol of comfort, he shared kind of uh, five indicators uh, of the idol of comfort. And today I want to kind of pick up on that Jeff Foxworthy theme of you might be uh, an uh, idol of comfort worshiper if... And so here's a few things that you can kind of maybe examine from your life. You might have the idol of others in your life in some measure if, first of all, you choose to stay silent when the right thing to do would be to speak. And sometimes staying silent means there's an encouraging word that God wants you to give, but you swallow your words and you don't step out and share that. Other times it might be there's a, a word you have to speak something that's right into something wrong that is happening, but you choose not to speak. Another indication is if you allow your behavior to be determined by the opinion or expectations of others. So you will literally allow your behavior to kind of adjust to the temperature in the room. And you find yourself behaving a certain way around some people, and then behaving differently around other people, and then behaving differently again when you're at home by yourself. If you avoid conflict and avoid enforcing healthy boundaries because you fear rejection. So if there are difficult conversations to have, and in every relationship, in all human relationships, you're going to eventually encounter a difficult relationship, and there's going to be some tension or fear in initiating that conversation. And in every healthy relationship, there needs to be boundaries that you put in place. But if you find yourself avoiding those difficult conversations, and if you find yourself failing to put in healthy boundaries and essentially letting people kind of run roughshod over you, then that, again, is an indication of the fear of man and the idol of others. If you seek the approval and praises of others in order to feed your ego and sense of self-worth. Sometimes this can be really tough to determine. For instance, this morning, I am up here preaching. And simultaneously, there are two things that are happening. On one hand, I want to connect with you. On one hand, I want to inspire you. On one hand, I want to get feedback from you. On one hand, I I, I want uh, you to enjoy this message and to be changed by this message. And so it matters to me how you respond to this and that you respond to this message. But at the same time, I'm called to a higher desire, a higher purpose. And that is, God, let me speak the word that you've given me. Whether anybody responds or not. And so sometimes in our actions, we will find ourselves wanting the approval or playing to the approval more than what is healthy. And finally, the last indicator that you're dealing with the idol of others is if you're unwilling to take a risk that will result in you standing apart from the crowd. We've all been in the scenario where there are two sides of the line to stand on. 
this is clearly the wrong side, and this is clearly the right side. And we know that. But here's the problem. Everybody is standing here. And for me to stand on the right side means that I'll be alone and that I'll stand out. So many of us have found ourselves at times choosing to be with the crowd. We choose not being alone over not being right. And it's more valuable to us in that moment to be part of the crowd than to stand in the place that is right and to stand out. The Bible story that we're reading today actually describes this exact indicator. But before we do that, I'm just going to open up in a word of prayer. I've kind of laid out the topic for today. And in as much as I have words to share and ideas to present to you, which much, what is much more important is that the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life and in my life. He wants to stir up things in you uh, and, and refine you and mature you and, and uncover places where this idol might be in your life. So I'm just going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit uh, to be at work in an even more powerful way than any words that I speak. So Holy Spirit, just come into each of our lives right now and just pray for a, a revelation, for an awareness, bring light in those places that are dark, in those fears that are, are, are found in the formative places of our lives, expose those things in, in those places in our lives where we're holding on to people in an inappropriate way, holding on to people in, 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 in not holding on to you. Just show us those things that each person here today might know where and how in their life this idol has impacted them. So just before I read you the Bible verse that we're going to look at today, let me give you a little bit of background. Essentially, from the time Jesus' ministry started, there was a bit of a countdown clock happening. Clock going, going, going. And as Jesus was ministering and as his, his ministry years were happening, it was as if with every second, with every day, with every miracle, it was like you've got to decide, are you for him or are you against him? Do you believe in him or don't you believe in him? And the story that we're going to read happens in John 12, and this is kind of around the close of Jesus' earthly ministry. His earthly ministry is coming to an end, and the countdown is, is getting down to the last few seconds, and, and it's getting to that moment where people can't be ambivalent, people can't be indecisive. They have to make a decision. Many of these people were leaders and religious leaders, and they knew they had to make a decision. We're going to pick this up in John chapter 12. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This is the interesting part. Yet, at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praises more than praises from God. This love for human praises, this appetite for human affirmation, this deep desire within us to, to be included and to be a part, it is, it is uh, wired into our human psyche at the most basic level of, as, of who we are as human beings, 
we, we have this desire to belong and to be connected. There was this psychologist, counselor guy named Maslow, and he created this Maslow hierarchy of emotional needs, and this kind of describes, you know, the basic needs that every human being is born with. These are the needs within us, within our heart, no matter what country you're from, no matter what generation you're from. These are the things that, that from a child we look for and we long for just inherently. Even though Maslow wasn't a Christian, he kind of stumbled along a very spiritual principle, and that was this. That God divinely designed you and I to have these needs. We were created with these needs, but there was a divine purpose in creating you and I with these needs. And the purpose was that these needs that we had in our life would stir up, would generate, would be the impetus of desire. We have a need, we know something needs to fill it, and then we start desiring for that which would fulfill this need, and then that desire would propel us into relationship. And the divine plan was the needs that we are born with would strip the desire within us that would then draw us and drive us into the arms of God. St. Augustine, who was a first century Christian, wrote this, He said, you, God, have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. You, O God, know this need within our hearts, and until we find these needs fulfilled in you, our hearts will always be in need. That's what Augustine was saying. And so, God's plan was for us to find these emotional needs being met within the context of our family and our broader community and and having seen and and fulfilled and and, and found our needs being met in in our family, that that experience would then set us up for saying, oh, I know who God is because I've seen these needs. Go ahead and put the Maslow's chart back up again. These are the needs that God intended that we get met in our families and in our community. And then having had those needs met in our family, in our community, our hearts would be positioned and postured and and, and ready to be in a relationship with God. Right? That's the whole creation of a family. The week after uh, Family Fun Day, which is, is next Sunday, we're going to be beginning a series called building strong families and talking about God's purpose for the family. And God's purpose for the family was that the family would be a reflection of God's heart and that we would find unconditional love in our families. But then sin enters the picture, right? And many of us look at these needs and we say to ourselves, I didn't find those things in my family. Well, maybe I found a little bit of those things, but but it wasn't there. What we see early on in the history of mankind, what we see early on in sin, is that the very first effects of sin is that it corrupted the context and the place from which we were to experience our needs being met. 
Sin came in and instantly the family structure fell apart. The context and the culture for our unmet needs being met fell apart. And all of a sudden now Adam and Eve are at enmity and anger with one another. And then we find Cain killing killing Abel. And so all of a sudden this perfect like incubator for unconditional love is just destroyed. And so what has happened throughout human history because of the corruption of this context for, for unconditional love, what's happened is that we have ended up turning to broken people to try to heal our own brokenness. We end up turning to needy people and looking to needy people to fulfill the needs in our life. We, we end up turning to people who are lonely and asking them to give out of their deficit to fill our deficit of loneliness. We turn or we expect insecure people to somehow provide insecurity to us. And that idol of others, that dependency on others, ultimately leads us to feeling entirely and terribly unfulfilled. So the moral of the story that we read out of John and the message today is that the only way to overcome the idol of others is to have all of your emotional needs met by God. It's the only way. The only way you can live free of the fear of rejection. The only way that you can live free of not worrying about what people think of you or say of you. Is to have that type of relationship with God where every one of those basic needs within you is being met by God. And I think it's fantastic if we are in a situation where we are getting those needs supplemented by our family. If you are part of an encouraging family, that's fantastic. But some of us here don't have a family that provides those emotional needs in the way that we would hope. It's fantastic if you are part of a healthy marriage and you have a spouse that supplements some of those emotional needs. Some of us here have walked through divorces and marriage breakdowns or maybe in a marriage that is entirely unfulfilling. And as much as we want our spouse to fulfill those needs, they, they don't. It's fine that we're in a church, and I think a church is a great place to find our unmet needs, but ultimately the church can only meet so many needs before God has to get involved. It's great that you have mentors and counselors and spiritual people in your life, but even them will not be able to reach the depth of their emotional need like God can. What we end up doing a lot of times in our life is we end up sabotaging and bankrupting our human relationships because we make people idols. We ask people to give us something that they weren't designed to give. I don't know if you've ever had that happen in your life. A little bit of a unique situation with me being a pastor. But I've had those occasions where I know that people are needing something or wanting something from me that I can't give them. And sometimes we we can have people kind of pushing us into that place of being an idol in their life. And we're like, I can't be that for you. And sometimes we're on the other end of that where we are grabbing a hold of somebody. And we're saying, I need this from you. And really only God can meet those needs. So a lot of times, relationships are ruined because we are expecting people to fulfill our needs like only God can. And healthy relationships will always 
be grounded in this truth that God is the one who meets all of our needs. So, how do we live in a reality? How do we pursue a reality where our emotional needs are being met by God and God alone? That's what we're going to talk about today. And it starts by possessing an awareness of our emotional needs. Possessing an awareness of our emotional needs. We have to understand that the idol of others, our worshiping of other people, our, our needing of other people in this emotional way, it feeds off of our own unmet emotional needs. The reason we worship others, the reason we grab onto others is because we have emotional needs that aren't being met. And a lot of times, because we don't possess self-awareness, we don't realize that there's a need, a longing, a hunger, uh, a woundedness, or a brokenness within us. We don't know that it's there, so we don't realize that we're grabbing onto people and holding people in an idolatrous way because we're unaware. In my own life, some of you know my testimony, I grew up in a home where Nobody had any idea of Maslow's hierarchy of emotional needs. The last thing that my parents were equipped to do was to provide the emotional needs of me and my brother and sister because the farthest thing from their own experience was having their unmet needs, their emotional needs met. I, I, re, I remember I was probably three or four or five years old, we always lived in apartments, we never lived in a house, and I remember my dad telling me, you don't belong to this family, you belong to the family upstairs, but they didn't want you, so we're just taking care of you, and he was like saying this as a joke, and I remember crying, and that was like something he did for fun. Now, for those of you who like to minister inner healing and those you counselors and therapists in the room, I can see you salivating right now. You want to get me on your couch. God's healed me. I mean, not completely, but I mean, there's healing that's gone on. But my entire life, I have dealt with this reality that there are some deep, deep, deep emotional needs within me that weren't met during that season of life where they really needed to be met. So this is something that I know well of. For every one of us in here, our emotional needs are really determined by two basic things. And the first one is your personal experiences. What type of home did you grow up in? Some of us grew up in great homes with affirming parents, affirming grandparents, went to church, had a great church body around us. Your personal experience is Maslow's hierarchy of needs were met in your life. But on the spectrum of families and upbringing, some of us in here did not experience that at all. And that is your personal experience. Some of us went on to have very healthy romantic relationships and intimate relationships and marriages. And we, we found more uh, support for our emotional needs there. And some of us have really been hurt in those types of intimate romantic relationships. Some of us in this room this morning have experienced some that created deep, deep, unmet emotional needs. And some of us seem to have skated through life without that. So our personal experience shapes our unmet needs. And the second thing that shapes our unmet needs after our personal experience is our personality. Everything that we experience gets filtered through our own personality. 
And our personality sees things differently than somebody else's personality, which is why you can have two, three, four, five siblings grow up in the same family, and you can have one sibling say, I had the greatest childhood ever. I wouldn't change a thing about my childhood. And then you have another sibling who spends a majority of their adult life on a psychiatrist's couch trying to work through their childhood trauma, both growing up in the same family. But they processed those personal experiences through an entire different filter. So depending on who you are and how you deal with your emotions and the personal experiences that you have, you put those two things together, and that creates your own set of emotional needs. So what that tells us is that each and every one of us, being unique, having unique experiences and a unique personality, each and every one of us then has to uniquely engage in this process of self-awareness. Each and every one of us has to sit down with the Holy Spirit and say, we need to talk. So the question that we need to ask, and this will be different for everyone, is what are the emotional needs that I have, and how am I expecting and allowing others to satisfy those needs? And you might be surprised that there are some relationships in your life right now that the needle on those relationships is kind of tilted towards idolatry in those relationships. In our story, we see this unawareness of emotional needs among those who refuse to publicly declare their belief in God. Listen to these two key emotions that are talked about in the verse. It says, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear, one of the strongest human emotions, for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they love human praises more than the praise of God. So those people who refused to acknowledge their belief, they had these unmet needs deep within them, fear and the love of others, and it was those two things that caused them to miss out on the greatest blessing that God had for them. Salvation was within their grasp. Healing was within their grasp. A whole new life was within their grasp. But those unmet needs within them caused them to say, to, to be with Christ means I've got to stand there alone, but if I don't acknowledge that I believe in Christ, I get to stay here where everybody else is, to feel my emotional needs, to be satiated by being part of the group and the comfort that I find here, and so I'm going to stay here to satisfy these unemotional needs. And we make those types of decisions every day not realizing. Because the depths of these emotional needs are, are so far below our, our level of consciousness that they're deeply rooted within our subconscious. And the only way to really understand our, the true sense of our emotional needs is to allow the Holy Spirit into our life. Another kind of template that we use is this thing called Jahari Window. Uh, and, and it talks about just awareness. On the top quadrant, you have things that you and everyone knows about you. So just things that everybody knows. It's, oh, yeah. You know, that, that guy is this, uh, you know, he's really friendly, or he, he's, he's really thoughtful, or he's really kind, or whatever. And then on the bottom, you have things that are known by you, but unknown to others. We all have those things. People just don't know those things in our life. Here are the two problematic quadrants for us. The top one, things that you are unaware of, but others are not. You know that people know things about you, recognize things about you that you don't know, Right? And then the last one is things that are unknown by you and 
everyone else. Those things that are so deep within us, nobody knows about them. And so, possessing an awareness means allowing God to reveal those things to us that we might not otherwise be aware of. Listen to this absolutely amazing verse. It says this, God, investigate my life. Get all of the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind, and you're there. Then up ahead, and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all now. That beautiful word. In this verse, God has given us an invitation. And the invitation is this. If you let me come into your life, if you let me come into those dark, scary places, if you let me come into those places in your life that even you don't like to go, if you let me come into your life and go to those places, then I promise you that my reassuring presence will come with me. That every dark place, every unknown place, every place of trauma, every place of hurt, every place of of healing and wounding, all of those places, my reassuring presence. Wouldn't that be amazing? To have in our life in such a convincing way. To have such an absolute confidence and connection with the reassuring presence of God. That we stand completely confident How would our life be different? And how would we engage with others? And what would the level of our relational neediness be within the very depth of our emotional needs sat God in all of His reassuring presence? It would be absolutely transformational. I want you to know today that what the Bible tells us over and over and over again is that it's okay not be okay. It's okay to have emotional needs. It's okay to weep. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to cry. It's okay to have anger. It's okay to deal with disappointment. It's okay to just fall on your face before God and say, God, I'm hurt. I'm wounded. I'm insecure. I'm lonely. I'm selfish. I'm not the person I want to be. I don't know how okay to do that. And that type of prayer and that type of invitation will never be met with rejection. It will never be met with conditional love. It will always be followed by God's reassuring presence. Let me tell you this. There is nothing that God loves more than being welcomed in the places of your life that you've not allowed anybody else to be. Let me say that again. There is nothing that God loves more than being welcomed into the places of your life that no one else has been invited to be. That's where He wants to dwell. And that's where He wants to be. But it requires us to stop and say, investigate my life. 
If we want to live in a reality where we are free from the idol of others, it means pursuing an emotionally fulfilling relationship with God. So first, we invite God in to help us realize and be aware of those emotional needs. And second, we develop this relationship, this all-fulfilling, all-satisfying relationship with God. Throughout this series, I've said that it's possible to have a relationship with God, but not to have an emotionally fulfilling relationship with God. We can come to church, we can be a Christian, and, and you actually, as a pastor, I've heard this many times, you know, I do everything a Christian's supposed to do, but I still seem to have these needs met within me. And the problem is, and what we see over and over again in Scripture is that the reason we can kind of be in a relationship with God but still have all these unmet needs is because we are relying on others. We are relying on idols. We are siphoning off some of our passion, some of our fidelity, some of our commitment to God. We are siphoning some of that off, and we are outsourcing that. We're saying, hey, God, that part of my life, that need in my life, I'm going to outsource that to someone else. And the Bible actually talks about, in a sense, us having an adulterous relationship. That's what the Bible likens idol worship to, an an adulterous relationship. In the same way that it's quite possible to be in a marriage, but also to have an adulterous relationship with whether it's pornography, whether it's emotional connections with people that are inappropriate, whether it's flirting, or whether it's having a full-blown affair. It's quite possible that somebody does that. They wonder why their relationship is unfulfilling, but meanwhile they're outsourcing all sorts of their emotional needs and physical needs are outsourcing it to someone else. And so these aren't satisfying them, and it's only making their marriage worse. And so the same things happen. The same thing can happen in our relationship with God is whenever we outsource any of our needs, whenever we are pursuing anyone or anything. Today we're talking about the idol of others, but all of the other idols that we've talked about, and all the other idols that we could talk about. Whenever we outsource our emotional needs to those other idols, what we are doing is we are creating a sense of longing. And we are only exacerbating our sense of unmet needs. Earlier, I said that needs create desires, and those desires drive us into relationships. And so what happens is instead of entering into a relationship with God for all of our unmet needs, we end up entering into a relationship with other things and other people. In context to the idol of others, It is quite possible to be depending on your parents, for your parents actually to be an idol. You know, there are some people whose parents aren't even alive anymore, but they still feel obligated to their parents. They're still behaving in certain ways. They're still fulfilling certain expectations, even though their parents aren't around anymore. And it's possible for our parents to be the idol of others in our life. Sometimes in, in a marriage or, or in an uh, intimate relationship, there can, there can be a, an, uh, an idol worship of the person that you are married to, that you are so concerned about them, that your soul focus is on them, that you lose focus of God. It's possible that your marriage and your spouse can be that. As parents, this is, this is really common, as parents, our children can be our idol. We can get so wrapped up. I think this is probably... Yeah, this is probably for mothers and that maternal instinct, their, their connection with their kids is just on a different level. But I, I, I think there's a danger even of, of developing 
this this idol worship of our kids where where what they do and how they behave and how their life goes so impacts us that it actually displaces God in our life. Our friends can do that. Goodness, even social media, kind of this this nebulous reality of social media. We have young people today who are committing suicide because something happens on social media and their expectations and their relationships on, on social media go south with people they've actually never even met. And they end their life over it. See, God knows that our relationship with this idol of others will always leave us feeling unfulfilled. So He actually offers us something much, much better. I love this scripture in Isaiah 55. It says this, All you who are thirsty, come to the water. Whoever has no money, come buy food and eat. Without money, at no cost, buy wine and milk. Why spend money on for food but it, or why spend money for what isn't food and your earnings for what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Enjoy the richest of feasts. Listen and come to me. Listen and you will live. That right there is the cure for the idol of others. Is that what we would do is that we would redirect all of our needs from all of these other things so that the only place we go to, the first place that we go to for all of our needs is God. We would redefine our relationships. We would put proper boundaries in. We would recognize that, hey, you, this relationship has limits. I've been asking too much of you or, or I've been expecting too much of you and, and I've been allowing you to take the place of God in my life. So I'm going to call the worship team forward and I'm going to end this by just sharing in closing, just five ways to develop an emotionally fulfilling relationship with God. So that we all have a relationship with God, how do we develop a relationship that fulfills us in every way? And the first one is to allow the Holy Spirit to be part of our self-awareness process. We've, we've talked about that a lot. You ever notice that whenever you go to the doctor, you could go to the doctor because you stubbed your toe on the coffee table. You walk into the doctor's office with a throbbing big toe. The very first thing that they do is say, hey, let's take a look at your blood pressure. You ever notice that no matter what you walk into the doctor's office, it's always the blood pressure. Why? Because they want us to make, they want to make sure our heart is working. And so in the same way, every time we walk into the presence of God, we should say, God, check my heart. Search me and try me. And see if I have allowed anyone to stand in the place that only you should stand in my life. Secondly, we need to invite the Holy Spirit to heal those places of wounded needs in our life. If there has been trauma, if there has been hurt, to ask the Holy Spirit to come in and say, bring healing. And this may be where we, we avail ourselves to the prayer and to the ministry team. This may be where you... Talk to, to Glenn or I or any of the other leaders here and to say, hey, there's been some wounding in my life. And I want to be set free from that. Third, it means establishing boundaries of fidelity. And what I mean by that is just, you can go ahead, Glenn. It, it just means establishing relationships and boundaries in your relationships where it's like, I, I, I'm faithful to God. And I'm not going to let anybody else stand in this place. Just a deep fidelity to God. And I'm not going to allow anyone 
to influence me, to cause me to be afraid. I'm always going to pursue God. Fourth, to learn to dwell in God's reassuring presence. When we come in here on Sunday mornings, we are standing in the reassuring presence of God. And I want to invite you, when we do that, just open up your hands at the beginning of every worship time and just say, God, embrace me with your reassuring presence. Wrap your arms around me the way a father, a loving father, would wrap his arms around his beloved son or beloved daughter. Hold me. Hold me, Father, in that place of reassuring love until every emotional need within me is met. Fill uh, that, that vacuum within me that longs to be loved. Fill that today. And maybe every day we could start by doing that very same thing. Finally, be willing to ruthlessly destroy the idol of others every time and as soon as it appears. So in those moments where you recognize that you are fearing the reaction of others. Say, Scott, I'm not going to let fear rob me of God's greater good in my life. Every time you find yourself leaning towards the crowd instead of what is right, say, stop. Give me the courage, God, to be emotionally healthy and to make that decision. And it's as we do that and we develop this relationship with God and this courage and this strength and this security in God that we'll be able to interact with others in a very healthy way. And that way we give no place to the idol of others in our lives. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward now. And, uh, and we're just going to go into a time of uh, reflection and response. And so the worship team is going to lead us in, in one last uh, song. We have communion elements at the back of the room, which we invite you to go back and, and take those if you want to receive communion today. And I would spend some time earlier in the message I had asked uh, the question, um, you know, what are the emotional needs that I have and how am I expecting and allowing others to satisfy those needs? That question is in your handout, in your program. So maybe I would spend, I'd encourage you to spend a few minutes this morning just praying over that. So let's stand together and let me pray. God, investigate our lives this morning. Get all of uh, the facts firsthand. God, I pray for each of us in this room that we would be an open book to you. That you would read the pages of our lives that haven't been read by anyone else. God, we choose to have such a secure relationship with you that we would never miss out on what you have for us because we are concerned about what other people would think or say. Just establish a level of emotional health within us and within our relationships that we would serve you and you alone. Amen. Let's worship.